We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's up, everybody? It's your Friday podcast. That means you get behind enemy lines and then you get all of the latest updates from Maria around the injury report as you get that all-important Friday practice participation report. So we'll cover all of it, give you all the details heading into the weekend, plus a great visit from a Baltimore guest. So let's get started with the latest OBR film breakdown. What's happening, guys? Welcome into today's show. It is jam-packed with a lot of information about the Ravens, uh, but obviously we have to start with the Brown situation coming out of uh, Kevin Stefanski's talk today. So people we know that are ruled out. Dewan Jones has been ruled out. Uh, he did not practice again, so the knee and shoulder is going to keep him out of this game. That means you're definitely looking at two backup, third, fourth, fifth string guys playing tackle against the Ravens who have led the NFL in sacks so far with 35 sacks collectively. So that is a big problem, right? Uh, James Hudson will start in some variety. Kevin Stefanski did not really elaborate on who was going to play the other tackle position between Jerron Christian and potentially Leroy Watson. I I'm not sure what they're going to do. Maybe they have something up their sleeve, uh, an angle that they want to go with. But as we sit here right now, we're, we're left to presume that one of those two will start opposite James Hudson, and we're just going to have to feel it out. I mean, the Browns are going to have to provide a lot of help. This happens to teams, right? This is something Baltimore was dealing with the first time they came to Cleveland, the lack of their left tackle. Obviously, the Browns are dealing with unique circumstances around their tackle position right now, missing the top three guys on the roster. But all you can do is pick it up uh, and and you know carry forward, right? The, the old saying, no one feels sorry for you, you got to work harder. Uh, there, there's not a tear being shed across the NFL that the Browns are dealing with tackle issues, so they have to solve it in-house, quick throws, chip blocks, double teams, things to help these guys out. It does limit your downfield passing, so you better be able to run it. It just makes the challenge all the more difficult. On top of the challenges... It seems as though the Ravens are about as healthy as they've been all year. We know they were pretty beat up the first time they played the Browns. That's what makes not having your starting quarterback a really difficult thing looking backward. Uh, David Ajabo and Tyus Bowser are still on injury reserve, but everybody else is pretty much back for them. Jalen Armour Davis uh, returned to practice. Defensive tackle Michael Pierce is back out there at practice. So uh, pretty much all of the 53 that is active for the Ravens is going to be active for this game. You know, that presents challenges in and of itself, a team that's clicking at the right time and pretty healthy, all things considered, outside of those two names we mentioned. I know that there was some late additions of, of Marlon Humphrey and then I think Keaton Mitchell, the running back, who had a great burst onto the scene last week for them both with an injury designation of the hamstring. But both of those guys are probably 
in line to play, right? So this is going to be a challenging game, a challenging game from being a hand tied behind your back a little bit, right, with uh, the tackle situation injuries. The other injuries worth noting, David Bell, Marquis Goodwin, ruled out for the game, concussion protocol. And then two important pieces, Greg Newsom, obviously an important piece playing uh, the slot as Cam Mitchell went to IR just this past uh, earlier this week. So you need him to be able to play in the slot. Uh, it seems as though he will be on the questionable side. We'll see what happens. And then Pierre Strong, also questionable. Have to hope both of those guys can go to give whatever boost those guys can give, uh, especially Newsom. You, you really don't want to have to play Mike Ford or someone of the like for that game. So, yeah, that's the injury designation situation. Again, we will see if anything comes from the Brown side about maybe a potential. Like, I'm not throwing – put it this way. They didn't say no today to Joel Batonio playing left tackle. I don't think they're going to. But uh, unless I missed it, I didn't hear Kevin Stefanski shoot that idea down right away. He just said they like their plan and they like their preparation. So we are going to have to all be consuming it, learning it at the same time. But for, for now, what we know is the injury report is tougher on the Brown side than the Ravens side. But again, nobody cares. Got to get out there. You got to figure out a way to get it done. Browns are going to have to be really stingy on the defensive side of the ball. And then they're going to have to be opportunistic on the offensive side and take care of things that way. So uh, listen, we're going to get over. We're going to learn more about... The Ravens, we have a great guest, Mike Crawford, who's on Twitter. He's at Abakari on Twitter. He does a great job covering the Ravens, does a couple different podcasts, the Deep Cover Pod, and then he does the Fire Zone show. He'll talk about those a little bit, but trying to get a different Ravens guest in. usually have Ken McCusick in, but we are going to try to get some different opinions and see where they're at. And the important thing is figuring out where the organization is from the first time they met, what they've changed, and how they're you know hitting their stride here the way that they have in the challenges that they will present to the Browns so let's get over to that guest interview right now with Mike I think he does a great job illuminating where they're at the changes they have made all the above so quick word from our sponsors and we'll be right back we're driven by the search for better but when it comes to hiring the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all don't search match with indeed indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. 
With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. Buying tickets to your favorite events should not be stressful, guys. Game time is the fast and easy way to buy tickets for all the sports, music, comedy, and concerts near you. You can find them last minute with killer deals. And their best price guarantee helps you stop stressing over the tickets and start getting hyped for all the fun you've had. So why would you go game time? They have flash deals, last minute tickets. They're easy to find. Buy tickets for every kind of event in your area, specifically those Cleveland Browns. You get great images of the seats view, which is awesome when you're trying to figure out how the stadium is going to look when you're trying to find that right ticket for the right price. And they have that low price guarantee and event cancellation protection, job loss protection, all of the stuff to help you protect your money. Right, It's the fastest growing ticket app for a reason in the country. You get images of your seats, like I said, before you buy them. You buy tickets in a matter of seconds, and they're sent directly to your phone. All right, So you never have to go digging through your email to find something last second. It is always there. You can put them in your wallet app and make sure to have them up and ready to go. It's important to know you can download that GameTime app, which makes it extremely easy, very intuitive, very fast way to buy those tickets. Create an account and use the promo code OBR for $20 off your first purchase. Again, terms apply. Again, create that account. Redeem the code OBR for $20 off. You can do so at GameTime.co. It is not .com. It is GameTime.co. But I would suggest downloading that app, taking advantage of the $20 off coupon, using the promo code OBR. Download GameTime today. Last-minute tickets, lowest price guaranteed. All right, getting over to our guest now, Mike, here to join us. How are you today, Mike? I'm doing well, Jake. How are you? Uh, you know, I can't complain. I could complain, but we, we won't waste that time. Right? Our time's pretty valuable here. So we'll, ju- we'll jump right in. Talking Browns, Ravens, rematch. I'm curious, before we start and talk about how the Ravens have done uh, since the Browns game, I'm just curious what you think the first game taught us, right? Because it was a weird situation for the Browns offensively, where they're, they're obviously starting a rookie on spot, starting duty like day of. Uh, and, and I'm curious if you think there's a lot to learn from that first game or if you think both teams are going to kind of be throwing that out and looking to sort of refresh who they think the other team is. Because it was a, it was a pretty weird Sunday. I think you would agree with me on that. A lot of Ravens hurt in that game. The team looked different at that yeah. point, too. So uh, it, it's it's an interesting it's not that far apart here, but obviously a lot has changed. Yeah, I mean, I, I think in a way you probably toss some of what happened in that game out, as you mentioned, especially on the offensive side for the Browns, because you're going into that game thinking Watson's going to start. Then you find out shortly before it's going to be DTR, uh, you know, first career start for a rookie. And so obviously things are going to be pretty different offensively, um, you know, with that guy under center as opposed to to Watson. So I don't know for the Ravens, you know, maybe in terms of the run game, you know, maybe there's some things that they kind of take away from that. But in terms of who the, the quarterback is, uh, you probably toss some of that out, but then defensively, obviously, you know, they saw the Browns defense who we know have been very, very good this year. Uh, so I think they'll probably still take some things away from, from what happened on that side of the ball. Let's talk real quick about how things have gone since the first matchup. So kind of on the schedule, you know, you lost that indie game before Cleveland, you beat Cleveland, then you lose that game to Pittsburgh where I'm sure you guys are still trying to figure out how that happened. I think that's the situation with a lot of Pittsburgh wins. The other team is trying to kind of figure <laughs> out how in the world that happened, but since that moment, you go Tennessee overseas, right? It was a real challenge to jump on a plane, fly over, uh, you know, fly overseas and get that W. So that game's kind of like a just do whatever it takes. But it's been some domination, right? You beat a very good Detroit team. You beat a pretty good Seattle team pretty thoroughly. So I'm looking for sort of a state of the Ravens 
post Browns game, like where they're at right now. And is this come together quicker than maybe some people anticipated because the offense went under, you know, it's a little bit of a evolution with Todd, right? You know, the defense is held together uh, pretty well, but they've been battling those injuries. So I'm kind of looking at you're sitting at seven and two. Did you expect it to go this well for the first portion of the year? Did you think there'd be a bit more growing pains as things came together? I thought there'd probably be a little bit more growth that needed to take place. I certainly didn't expect that they'd play two of the better teams in the NFC, at least in terms of record, and would dominate them as as thoroughly as they did. I certainly didn't expect that. And then just with it being, you know, Monken's first year as the offensive coordinator, you all, at least I do anyway, I always kind of expect that, okay, maybe the first half of the season, at least, uh, you're kind of going to have some, some ups and downs, uh, some of those natural growing pains that happen as you're, happens as you're trying to learn a new offense and get everybody integrated. But, you know, they were also dealing with different guys sort of going in and out of the offense. Odell was out for a while. Uh, Rashad Bateman was out for a while. They had some uh, offensive line guys shuffling in and out. But it seems like over this that same stretch of games that you just talked about, they've also had those guys come back and be able to practice and play more consistently. And that seems to have also synced up with some of these offensive uh, sort of explosion games that you've seen over that period of time too. So I think you can kind of explain it. It sort of makes sense that, okay, you know, they're getting guys back. Everybody's kind of been able to practice and play together a little bit more. Um, we we kind of know what Monken's track record has been, at least recently in college. So, you know, you felt confident, you know, that the offense would be would be pretty good. But for it to go as well as it's gone against those two teams, no, I, I didn't foresee that. The rushing game seems to be standing out. Now, when the Browns played Lamar, he didn't run all too much, but that doesn't mean he can't do it here. So the uptick in rushing, right, right, where he's, you know, he had 750 yards the last two years, and now he's sitting at about 450 halfway through this season. He's on pace to get toward the 1,000-yard mark he found his second and third season, right? So, like, I think when you hire Todd Monk and Mike, you, you get people thinking he's going to be throwing it a ton. So – you know, you lose Greg Roman, you shuffle him out, who, you know, is at the forefront of some of the quarterback run game. He's Listen, Greg Roman's got faults, but he does a pretty good job developing run concepts. Uh, the issue was the throwing side, at least from the outside looking in. You feel free to correct me if I'm wrong on this. But I think the, the idea was with Monken's hire, you were going to be throwing it more and putting less of an emphasis on Lamar running. So talk to us about the differences you guys are seeing, right? Because you're still running it really well. Lamar is still obviously running himself really well, is on track to have a really nice rushing season. And I think that people might have got that wrong a little bit, right? Where I think Monken's trying to develop a downfield passing game where it felt like Roman couldn't, and then they can still use that secondary element off of it. So again, not trying to answer that for you. I want you to correct me if I'm wrong on that, but talk to us about the biggest differences you guys have seen since Todd Monken's arrived versus what you've seen, you know, pretty much all of Lamar's career with, with Roman. No, I think you're on track with that. I think there was this perception versus reality thing with Monken. Um, and it's weird because if you really go back and study his background, I thought the different stops that he's been, obviously Georgia being the most recent, but even if you go back, whether it's Oklahoma State, Southern Miss, even even go further back, right? When I think it was what Eastern Washington, even Notre Dame. Aside from Oklahoma State, where he probably got tagged as an air raid guy, he was pretty balanced everywhere else, or at least you know, was willing to court a, uh, to sort of adjust to the players that he had, right? Whatever his his sort of core scheme was, he was flexible enough to say, okay, here's the talent I have. Here's what they're good at. Let me adjust to what, you know, to, to what those realities are. So that's really kind of who he's been over the bulk 
of his career. But I guess when you get the air raid, you know, smell on you, it like dominates, right? Everything else. <laughs> so I think out, that, uh, yeah. So I think that was kind of the perception. Yeah, he's an air raid guy. They're come here. They're going to chuck it all over the yard. It's funny um, because but, when he came to Cleveland in 2019, that was what everybody wanted to talk about because he was with Jameis and they didn't have much of a downfield passing game in his time in Tampa. So it's like, if you look at what he did with the Browns, now Freddie Kitchens was largely in charge of that, but he ran it well. Like they ran gun outside zone well. They did a really nice job running it. So I I, I think you're, uh, you know, that smell of air raid concept you're talking about is pretty funny because that's the label that he has. Yeah, it's overpowering. It's like super strong cologne or something. Like when you, <laughs> even if that's the only thing, even if you've only done it once in your career, once you get yep. that, that it's like what everybody remembers. But um yeah, I, and I think when you listen to him talk, and you know, sometimes when when coaches are speaking at their media availability, sometimes you get some coach speak. But he seems to be a pretty honest guy, and sort of what you see is what you get. He talks about the run game way more than he talks about the passing game. Like he talks about uh, the importance of being able to control the game through running the ball. He basically he talks about it every week. Like the only way to control a game is to run the ball, and he says you throw to win, but you control the game by running the ball. And so I think that we've continued to see that. And, you know, John Harbaugh mentioned it, I think, earlier this week in one of his availabilities where he said, you know, sort of half joking, because obviously every coordinator has a system. But he says, you know, the system is that he doesn't have a system. Um, to me, this means he's flexible, right? Obviously, he's got core principles and sort of a structure that he believes in. But you can see it in their run game. They're still using a lot of the things that they did under Greg Roman. They haven't totally scrapped that stuff, because why would you if it's really good and they know it? Why have to reteach something to, you know, 11 different guys just talking about the starters? Obviously, you've got practice squad and, and reserve guys as opposed to one guy coming in, the OC having to come in and learn it. Right. Especially if it's been good. So I think he's continued to, you know, incorporate some of that stuff in the non quarterback run game. Uh, that was really good. Obviously, they're still using the quarterback run game stuff with Lamar, because, again, why wouldn't you? And he mentioned that in one of his availabilities, too. He said he'd be a fool not to to utilize, you know, Lamar's skill set in that way. So I think the volume of it has probably decreased as much. He probably doesn't lean on the quarterback run game as much um, throughout the game as Roman did. He certainly will go to it in the red zone. Uh, he loves it down there. And again, it makes a lot of sense because it's a numbers game. And, yeah. You know, it's, it's hard to account down there for the quarterback. So it's it's something that I think a lot of the Ravens fans thought maybe wasn't going to be as pronounced or continued to be, you know, as, 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 um, you know, a bigger part of their offense as it's been, but it really has now, obviously in the passing game, I think they're more robust is probably the word that I would use to describe it. They certainly incorporate their wide receivers more than they ever did under, under Greg Roman, but Mark Andrews hasn't gone away either. So I think they've even kept some of those concepts from Greg Roman's passing game in terms of the stuff that was really good for the tight ends. Whereas I think you see, you know, some of the stuff that uh, Monken does with wide receivers in the RPO game, they probably do a little bit more of that now. Yeah, let's talk about the receivers. Obviously, the first time you came to Cleveland, it looks like I, I believe Bateman and Odell both missed that game. Are they upticking usage of those guys? Or, or how many are you seeing in the field? I know they like to play Patrick Carter, so I'm kind of getting at since the first matchup, are they living in three sets? Are they playing more 12? Like, what is it looking like consistently? Because the run game numbers are jarring, but I'm kind of curious how they're getting to those numbers, if it's more of a spread approach or if they're keeping Ricard an active part of things to make him sort of that plus one in the box. 
they're keeping him pretty, pretty uh, uh, active. And that, that was another one of the things that I think, you know, another perception versus reality. I think coming into the season with Monk and people thought, OK, are they even going to have a role for Pat Ricard anymore? He's playing as much as he as he did under Ray Roman, really, in a lot of yeah. respects uh, and still doing a lot of the things that he did then and, and, and some additional things. Um, you know, they're not sending him out on many pass routes uh, as maybe they did with Greg Roman, but he's still doing all of the things in the run game um, that make him really kind of unique, you know, in terms of his skill set. So it's really kind of been a balanced kind of thing. And I think game script in these recent games that we're talking about has maybe um, helped allow them to do that a little bit more. You know, maybe if they were down in, in some games, they might be a little more three wide receiver heavy, a little more 11 heavy, but they've been able to stay pretty balanced, whether that's with Andrews and Ricard on the field, um, Andrews and Isaiah Likely, their backup tight end, or, or Ricard and Isaiah Likely. But then obviously, um, you know, Zay Flowers, Odell, Rashad Bateman, now that they're all healthy, are still seeing the field. Um, I think recently something I've noticed is they've started to run Odell out of the slot a little bit more than he did early in the season, uh, which again, just adds another dimension. And then, you know, I, you could speak to this way better than me. Obviously I watched the Browns a little bit, but I don't study them anywhere near as closely as you do, but I've noticed, uh, you know, they, they'll tend to do that with um, Cooper, right? That was the thing in the game last year, right? The week 15 game that they actually won getting Cooper matched up in the slot with Kyle Hamilton. And they went to that matchup several times and, and, and made some hay on it. So anytime that you can get, your best guys or, or any of your guys in the slot, obviously the matchups are a little bit different. The opportunities can be a little bit different because you're probably going to see more off coverage. You might see more safeties and more linebackers. So I think it's pretty cool that they're doing that with Odell. Obviously, you know, Zay, it was kind of the natural thought. Everybody thought because of his size, he's kind of the default slot guy, but he's not just that. He's a guy who can pay on the perimeter. He's a guy who can play it inside, who can play inside. Same thing with Bateman. He was actually playing inside probably more than he had in his career earlier in the season. And now they're kind of, you know, balancing those scales too with, with moving him outside a little bit more. So it's been pretty interesting the way that um, Monken has deployed those guys. Yeah, the split in the in the first matchup is peculiar. You know, the Browns ran about 50-50 man zone and had a ton more success playing man than they did zone. Even though I didn't think their zone was broken, I think Lamar just made some really, really gifted plays that right corner touchdown to Mark Andrews kind of up above everybody out where only Mark could get it. Uh, there was a couple more instances. He broke the pocket one time, hit Zay on that ball deep, deep right down the sideline. So I don't think the Browns process was bad, but I thought Lamar played some hero ball, which we all know he can do from time to time. So I I'm quite interested, you know, sort of how the Browns go about attacking him because they love to lean into that funnel man, right? That sort of lurk stuff they love to do with man free uh, with the free safety sitting over top. I just wonder how aggressive they feel like getting in this when they only blitzed him six times in the first matchup. So that's where certainly my eyeballs will be for the early portion of the game. Switching sides, Ravens are playing historic defense, right? They're healthier than they were when they came to Cleveland. I think to have Marcus Williams miss that game. I think somebody else important uh, missed that game too. I can't remember. Oh, Marcus or, uh, Marlon Humphrey missed that game too. Yeah. So obviously much healthier. Just overview for us, Mike, if you can't. Like, how are they? How are they finding the success they're finding? Because lately they're shutting down some some pretty good offenses. So talk to me kind of about what you think their general approach is. I know when I talked to uh, the guests the first time, uh, when I talked to Ken, I always have a yearly chat with Ken. He, he said they've gone away from dime packages and have been more of a nickel defense. And he thinks that's helping them a little bit more. So yeah, w walk through where you think their strengths are and how they're playing to those strengths. And then we'll talk weaknesses in a minute. Go ahead. 
Yeah, I agree with Ken on that. They definitely have have trended more heavier uh, nickel, really ever going back to last season, ever since they acquired Roquan, Roquan Smith, because not only the effect that he's had himself, the effect that he's had on Patrick Queen, Patrick Queen is like a different player than he was his first couple yeah. uh, seasons in the league. He was a guy, particularly in the passing game, that teams targeted. You know, they they attacked him because they knew that they could show him a bunch of eye candy, move him around and, and really get him out of position and take advantage of him. And now, not to say that he's like a shutdown, you know, type coverage, but we're not we're not talking about Fred Warner or anything like that. But he's 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 much improved in coverage. And so because of that, he stays on the field. He doesn't come off the field anymore. Um, and I think also having Kyle Hamilton, who's really kind of emerged in his second year, has is is one of the really ascending young, you know, secondary players in the league. Um, a guy who gives you safety, sort of nickel, almost hybrid Sam Will linebacker flexibility because they move him all around. They do all kinds of things with him. But I think this year, what kind of has surprised me and maybe probably surprised most Ravens fans is um, the pass rush, right? They're leading the league in sacks. I think going into the season, we were all kind of scratching our heads, right? You lose Calais Campbell, Justin Houston is gone, and you're thinking, okay, well, we've got young guys, right? You know about Adafi Owe, you know about David Ajabo, but pretty young guys. Ajabo super young, right? Only his second season. He missed the bulk of last year uh, coming off that injury pre-combine. And Owe, you know, sort of the tantalizing measurables and physical stuff has been there, but the production hasn't matched up. So you were a little nervous, and, you know, they bring in Clowney, a guy obviously you know uh, pretty well, and he's playing at an amazing level right now. They bring in Kyle Van Noy off the couch. He has five sacks, you know, since they brought him in. And Justin Matabike, a guy who's been an interior player for them, who they drafted out in a, uh, Texas A&M a few years ago, who, again, sort of like Owe, had the tantalizing, you know, sort of physical skill set, but the production hadn't lined up. Well, he's got, what, seven, seven and a half, eight sacks, yeah, uh, so yeah. far this year. So that part has really been uh, kind of the biggest surprise to me. I mean, the stuff they've done on the back end is pretty consistent with what they were doing last year when Mike McDonald came in, especially towards the second end of last year, where they really started to become one of the, the better defenses in the league. I don't think there's been a ton of difference there uh, other than players. You know, obviously, you know, Humphrey was out for a chunk of the beginning of the season and they had guys like Ronald Darby and Rocky Sin, you know, you're shuffling these different guys in, but you know, McDonald's, you know, more of a, uh, a zone, you know, he leans more towards zone coverages than wink, you know, you, you know what wink was about. Uh, <laughs> so it's a little bit different that way. So I think you're able to kind of have different guys out there at corner and you don't stress them as much as you did in winks, like super man heavy, you know, pressure heavy style of defense. Those guys can be protected, you know, a little bit more. Um, but it's the stuff up front with the pass rush that has really kind of been the difference, I think, this year. You know, correct me if I'm wrong here again. You obviously have your core pieces, you know, your Roquan, you know, Kyle Hamilton's a core young player. And you talked about Matabike, a guy that we loved over here. Not surprised to see him finding success in Marlin. But like the the additions of some late round guys, right, who have jumped in or guys like you said off the street, like Geno Stone's playing some great ball this year. It seems like you're talking about Kyle Vanoy, you're talking about, you know, Clowney. These guys, even, you know, Rocky Sin and Darby that they brought in, I think the defining element of this defense is that they've brought in pieces to surround that core, both late picks and sort of those year-over-year free agents, and those guys are playing really good football, and that's sort of defining why they're at the level that they're at, right? Because, I mean, imagine if they didn't come to an agreement with Clowney. I'm sure you would agree with me. They'd be in a little bit of a pinch with the pass rush Mm -hmm. stuff here because he's been one of their most consistent guys, so... I, I'm I'm kind of answering my own question here, but I'm sure you can elaborate a little bit more on like how some of those guys are defining the season for you guys on defense. 
Yeah, absolutely. That's a really good point. Without Clowney, man, um, it, it would be like a night and day kind of thing because I think Ravens fans were a little, I think we were just kind of scratching our heads. Like wh- which yeah. version of him were you going to get? You know, mm-hmm. uh, he's, he's kind of been on these year to year deals over the last, well, not last few years, pretty much the bulk of his career since he left the Texans. And, you know, you, you see up years, you see years that are down a little bit. And so you just didn't know, you know, what version you were going to get. But we've obviously got a guy who, you know, to this point has been highly motivated, uh, very productive. I mean, even if you look at his numbers and you look at his pressure rate, which is which is pretty good, um, he could probably have three or four more sacks just because he hasn't been able to, like, wrap guys up and get on the ground. He's gotten to them, but they yeah. kind of slipped yeah. out of his hands. Um, so, yeah, he, he's been um, a huge factor. But even some of those unheralded guys that you mentioned, um, I remember this was maybe two years ago because it was before Mike McDonald got here, before he was hired. And uh, kind of reading up on him, and there was an article, and you know, some of his players at Michigan talked about how he tried to uh, create as many entry points to play as he could for players. Like he wanted to get as many guys on the field as possible. And one of the ways that he went about doing that was in how he taught the defense, right? To simplify it. Um, he's even talked about that himself, where he said, you know, he he'd been here. Obviously, he has that background. He sort of grew up in the Ravens organization. And he said they had a meeting even before he left Michigan when he was still with the Ravens, when he was like a linebackers coach, where they had looked at their scheme one offseason. They just said, look, we've gotten way too wordy. Like we're basically reinventing things every week and to like add a new blitz or to change one thing, we got to change four or five different words in the play call. And it was just getting way too confusing. Now, when you had savvy veteran players who had been in the system like Suggs and Ray and those, you could do that. Those guys could handle it. Like even Eric Weddle, when they brought him in mentally, they could handle that. But when you had young guys, when you had injuries, um, like they did in 2021, where they really got crushed with injuries and you're having to bring guys in off the street, that's really difficult, right? For those guys to try to pick up the scheme when it's changing that much every game. So I think that was really part, one of the factors anyway. There, there's some other factors that, um, not, you know, official stuff, but, you know, you, we when you follow teams closely, you hear, you know, kind of the rumblings about personality conflicts and stuff like, stuff like that. So there was some of that stuff hinted at with Wink and, and, and John Harbaugh. But uh, I think that ability to simplify the defense, to have it be a little bit more sound uh, structurally, to sort of line up with, the way that uh, defenses are, you know, defending uh, the sort of modern passing game offenses now and, and kind of update that way. I think a lot of that kind of went into why they brought McDonald. And then you see it play out in the point that you made, the fact that you can bring in all these different guys, different experience levels, you know, coming from different teams, different systems, and for them to come in and really just, you know, hit the ground running uh, and not be liabilities out there to you really speaks to what McDonald has been able to do with the system. You know, it's funny, that's that's a large part of what the secondary in Cleveland talked about going from Joe Woods to Jim Schwartz was just the simplification of thought process. And I, it wasn't necessarily tied to the verbiage used, but it was just tied to less thinking. And, and that's usually those two are parallel with each other. But, uh, you know, you, you let defensive players play reactionary ball instead of thought process ball, and usually your results are going to be better. So, you know, it's a fascinating thing, Mike. The Browns are really, you know, they're crippled, to be honest, at tackle and I'm sure that, uh, you know, Clowney and, and the gang there are really looking at an opportunity to get after Cleveland. So how the Browns combat that issue at tackle that they're having uh, against that rush will probably define this one in a large way for what the Browns are able to do offensively because 
it's going to be a tall task. They're going to have to use a bunch of help. And anytime you're using a bunch of help to throw it, that's less players downfield. And as we know, the Ravens cover as well as anybody right now. So, you know, the vibe for my side is, you know, I can find optimism about the Browns defending Baltimore, but it's hard for me to see them put up many points. I have a feeling this is going to be a low scoring game. It's going to be uh, sort of a muck it up and, and, and really who takes care of the football type of, you know, outcome, you know, who makes the fewest mistakes sort of deal here. So, yeah, I always like to, and I'm not asking for prediction, but just your vibe around how confident you are that the Ravens can get this one done. Because it's a tough one looming. You got, you know, the, the 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 division gets heavy for both teams. The Browns get Pittsburgh the following week, and you guys get Cincinnati. So I think both teams are really trying to win this first one. Yeah, it's it's funny you ask that because some of the, the guys that I, I do a podcast, uh, do a couple different ones, is deep cover podcast that I do with Chris Aguilera and Kerry Stevenson. And then we did a uh, we do a defensive only one called the fire zone uh, with Denard Melton. Those guys will tell you I'm never confident in defense <laughs> in, in uh, divisional games. Like I'm always yeah. nervous yeah. and I'm pretty I'm pretty much nervous in every game, but I get particularly nervous uh, in divisional games because of the things that you just mentioned. The, the teams know each other so well. And regardless of what's going on with those teams, whether they have injuries, whether they have other things going on, um, you just never know what's going to happen in those games. And they typically tend to be lower scoring games. And it does come down to the things that you pointed out, who can take care of the ball, who can make the fewest uh, mistakes, you know, the kind of self-inflicted stuff like pre-snap penalties and stuff like that. So to me, that's kind of, and, and, you know, those guys would also tell you, I, this is sort of the way that my mind works. I'm always thinking of ways that teams could possibly beat the Ravens, you know, well, I don't know why. Is, like, like last year, if I recall, the Ravens, you know, uh, had a great punt return uh, that, that got them the football down inside like the 30-yard line, and then they had that strip sack of Jacoby Brissett, and I'm talking the game in Baltimore, the first game of the year, and that kind of defined it. I don't remember the score, but it was like 21-16. It was low scoring, and it yeah. was like the Browns turned it over one time in their own, you know, I think it was right coming out of halftime, deep in their own end of the field, and then that great punt return, I think it was DuVernay probably had a great punt mm-hmm. return on a bad punt, and that kind of defined the game. And that's that's sort of the way I feel this this has a chance to go is like who can do the little things right to, to, to capitalize on those little, you know, those, you know, NFL games, man, five or six moments make the, the whole thing. So that's it. That's it. So for me, I the way that I thought about it, like if we're just talking about the Browns offense right now, if you focus on that, um, you know, a lot of this stuff, people would say, yeah, this is, yeah, duh, kind of stuff, right? This could apply to any game, right? But to me, I I refer to those things because they're truisms in football, right? How you win football games, there are some core things. Um, I wouldn't say it's, uh, there is a formula, but it's formulaic. And so if you can do those things, you're going to give yourself a pretty good chance, a pretty good chance to win the game. So we talked about protecting the ball. We talked about minimizing mistakes. I think another thing that you can do, um, in terms of staying on schedule, if you can get them in base defense, get them out of their nickel stuff, because that's where they, you know, he loves to bring, he's a variety of nickel pressures that he loves to bring So with different guys. So if you can get them out of some of that stuff where they have to be a little bit more vanilla and a little bit more basic, maybe uh, uh, be able to run the ball out of 12 or 22, you know, if you guys, you know, have some heavier personnel. And if you can keep them in that, sort of in early downs, because to me, that's another big factor. If you can make hay on first down, obviously you make life easier for yourself in second and third down and kind of just make it a grind it out um, possession based kind of game, right? Minimize the possessions that right now with the way the Ravens offense is playing, maybe the best defense is to keep them off the field 
uh, as much as possible. You guys obviously have a couple of running backs, three, I guess, that, that you know you, you utilize. So uh, I see a pathway for it. I know Ravens fans won't like this, but anybody who listens to our shows know I'm the most pessimistic out of all the guys, so they get that already. Uh, I expect the Ravens to win, but yeah. I can always see a pathway to where a team could beat them. <laughs> I get it, man. We're, we're, you know, our, our scar tissue runs a little deeper over here, so it's easy to get to the pessimistic side uh, of things. But yeah, it's, you know, it's funny. You know, both teams are dealing with injuries just at various different times, right? You know, I don't know if Greg Newsom's going to play in the slot, and then they they lost a young youngster named Cam Mitchell, who is a nice player, but uh, he's got a groin injury or a hamstring injury that he got put on IR. So there's there's little spots around. Uh, the Browns that could make this one a challenge and I'm drawn to those and you guys are drawn to your issues and you, you start to create how your team could lose. So it's divisional football. That's how it goes. Yeah. You know, you, like you said, it's, it's a uh, flip of the coin sometimes with these things and who does the little things right and who catches the break in the game. And sometimes, unfortunately the officiating can drive some of the outcomes of these things too, which is never fun for anybody and really hard to predict. But listen, as far as previews go, Mike, this is as good as it gets, man. We really appreciate your time and, 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 a, and a tricky one because again, it's not walking through the roster, but it's talking about, you know, the culture, the status of the season and what they've done since they first got together. And I think we covered it pretty well. So we appreciate your time very much. Well, Jake, thank you. Uh, it was, it was really fun. And, you know, anytime I have an opportunity to talk to you, I enjoy it. So, uh, you know, I appreciate you having me on. All right. Thanks to Mike. We'll be right back guys. All right. We're out of here. Good show. Good information. I think the Browns have a real uphill battle in this contest. I personally thought Dewan Jones was going to be able to go. It's unfortunate to see he's not, and the, and the situation it puts them in is really, really tricky. So, uh, you know, the, the game Sunday, it might alter your expectations. We'll see if the Browns get creative, how they can work around it. They haven't been in quite this situation in a while with the offensive line, so you know, it, we'll see if it has any impact on Watson. There's a lot of lingering stuff that could happen here, but it would be great if they could overcome it. A really cool story if they could find a way to uh, go into Baltimore and get a win. A, a lot of interesting stuff there, especially from Mike where he's illuminating where the Ravens are and how they've gotten to this point and what they've been able to overcome in their health. And, you know, things are rolling in a great direction, but the NFL, it's an unpredictable league any given week. We'll hope that the Browns can find that any given week. But again, quite the challenging setup here. Thanks to Mike for being here. Thanks to you guys for stopping by. Uh, Behind Enemy Lines is always one of my favorite shows to record each week. Uh, so hopefully you guys enjoyed it. Then we will get your college lines and NFL lines for myself and Andrew and a Big Browns thought for your Saturday podcast. And then Sunday we'll be here before we know it for a 1 o'clock kick. So, again, thanks for being here. Appreciate you stopping by. And go Browns. The headlines remind us daily, the world is a dangerous place. The elites in charge say everything's fine, stop noticing, but you know better. And your gut knows that time is short to prepare for a world that is four missed meals away from chaos. My Patriot Supply has helped over three million families become more self-reliant and is the company Americans trust to prepare. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure their best-selling three-month emergency food kits. Each contain delicious breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Secure at least one food kit for each family member. For a limited time, save $200, plus get free shipping on all their Ready Hour 3-Month Emergency Food Kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour Foods. My Patriot Supply also has solar power generators, water filtration units, biomass stoves, heirloom seeds, and critical survival gear. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com